Hi, and welcome to episode 175 of the Untethered Podcast. Today, we have Dr. Ayal Batser joining us. Dr. Ayal Batser is the DMD and founder of CTO of Liper. He has over 25 years as a doctor of dental medicine, specializing in neonatal dental and oral anomalies, specifically craniofacial defects and tongue tie. He is a director of pediatric dentistry and tongue tie research and treatment center at Tel Aviv Swarovski Medical Center. He is a tongue tie medical opinion leader, co-founder of the International Affiliation of Tongue Tie Professionals, IATP, and has over two decades of research and treatment of tongue tie. He's also the founder and CTO of BAM Media Limited, the inventor of Tongue Gym by Liper. Quick disclaimer, all information, content, and material of this podcast are the opinions of the speakers and is for the informational purpose only and not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified healthcare provider. Welcome to the Untethered Podcast. I am your host, Hallie Balkin. I'm a certified orofacial myologist, feeding specialist, and mentor. This podcast is all about getting your questions answered and collaborating with colleagues to bring you the most up-to-date information in the orofacial myofunctional therapy, tethered oral tissue, and airway space. I challenge you to keep an open mind and join my mission to get this information out to the masses. Let's get started. Hey, all welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to chat today. Hi, good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. So I want to just dive right on in because I'm curious. I want to know about the origin story behind Tongue Gym by Liper and, and really what it is that you're doing um, for the greater good. Well, it, it starts with frustration, you know, when I was so frustrated with the fact that the effectiveness of my instructions to the to the parents are weren't really met by them it was very difficult to get a good we call it compliance get get the people the usually it started with the parents to do the exercises the tongue exercises on the newborns and then on the toddlers and they rather avoided it so we can give very good recommendations but at the end of the day they didn't really do the the exercises and then we met with the with the results that there was no real improvement in the in the oral function so i was kind of looking for something which could be easy and help them both help them uh, kind of feeling remote from the child yet with full control on it and this is how i got into the to the tongue gym idea we tried it for many years we had a lot of babies and a toddlers crying, and then we got them happy. So it's yeah, no, as a treating therapist in this space, I, I know um, exactly what you're talking about. We have a lot of not just parents, not just caregivers and support, you know, and those support units, but therapists who are afraid to go into a baby's mouth and disrupt the, you know, the wound or upset the baby or cause aversions or all, you know, any number of things. And we have found that there really need to be protocols or things in place. But like you said, even with those in place, we still notice that compliance is a concern. It's an issue. For us dentists, it's very natural to be in the, in the oral cavity of the, of the child, the toddler, the adult, but for a parent or for a person himself, maybe when they brush their teeth, they feel okay. But other than that, uh, it's kind of, it's not natural to them. 
Mm-hmm. And when you get something which is easier to do, something, a tool that really slips into, its, into the right spot and you can have full control over it, uh, then it's much easier. And indeed, I do see the, the, the better results with the function. That's, that's great to hear. Um, cause I know that, like you said, function, right. That's the key word at yeah. the end of the day. Um, and I know we, we chatted before and we're on the same page, you know, we don't want to just go in and release frenula. We want to make sure that when we're doing it, because it's disrupting function and that we plan to improve function, it's part of a larger puzzle, um, and treatment plan, but there is a lot of important therapeutic intervention that surrounds the, the tethered oral tissue release, um, regardless of the modality in which that release happens, right? We need to make sure that we're working towards gaining proper function and setting up the child or adult, you know, on a healthier um, path. So uh, I know that, you know, you actually have like tongue exercises and things that you target, you know, it's not just infants. My understanding when I knew the company originally and knew about the lifer, um, I always thought it was for infants. And then I I saw your website this week and I was like, oh, wait, there's, there's an adult component here. This is the whole lifespan. So can you share a little bit about, you know, your work and what you are addressing as far as, you know, treating or working with the entire lifespan from birth through adult? Yes, well, I started with infants. It all started with my youngest daughter with a tongue tie, of course. We all, all of us today in this field are kind of emotionally involved because we have some personal experience because it's still not in the medical dental curricula. Mm-hmm. So the person that falls into this field are those that have some kind of personal experience Mine happened to be 22 years ago with my youngest daughter. So uh, I'm, like I said, emotionally involved. And it started with, with neonates, with neonates, and then started the frustration. It started with uh, phrenotomies, that I was taught that there's no need to do that. And then following our research that was done in, in Tel Aviv, and we got amazing results that really blew our minds and we started getting deeper and deeper into the field and we started to understand that we can improve breastfeeding and not every child was successful in the field of following the surgery and then we got to understand that there are many more issues to that and you said tethered oral tissues it's it's not necessarily tethered oral tissues it's oral dysfunction oral function and you may have a high palate and the tongue has a full range of motion and the, there is an oral dysfunction in this child. And we had a period of every speech pathologist and I'm sorry, every lactation consultant would send every child that had a tongue tie to a release, that had a, sorry, that had a breastfeeding issues to release his tongue. And then of course it fired back and then we started to understand the link between proper tongue function and following there there is no real objective way to understand how is the tongue function in the oral cavity we have our experience putting our finger in there and trying to feel the 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 peristaltic like movement of the child and it takes time to to get this expertise and you know that not every child is the same of course if you see a, a a tie that goes all the way to the tip of the tongue or just a little bit behind it 
you know, and even the, the most offending doctors that say there is no tongue tie, maybe they can agree on that. So this is, this is how it started. And then we moved into feeding issues and feeding issues on when babies switch to solids and we saw that there are issues there and good uh, speech pathologists that understand feeding. And it also something that grew with time started to understand that the tongue movement is, has some issues there. And all the work of a, of a speech pathologist at this age is trying to teach the child both the, the psychological aspects of, of introducing food and, and chewing and so on, but the, the correct swallowing is something kind of enig enigmatic. And from then we moved into uh, toddlers with speech issues and tongue thrust. And I started to understand that it's not only a tongue tie, but rather a, an oral dysfunction. Took me a few years, I think maybe at the, maybe 12 years of releasing uh, ties on newborns. And we started to work on tongue exercises. Maybe like we say, there is post-surgical active wound management or post-surgical physiotherapy. Something that we thought may be working is pre-surgical or non-surgical uh, tongue training, tongue exercises. I come from the field of cleft lift and, lift and palate. And we do something which is called pre-surgical uh, orthopedics where I prepare the child for surgery. We stretch the tissue, their soft tissues, we, we align them, we get better surgery. And this in mind, I started to try to have the tongue function correctly and get maybe better, what I would say, craniofacial growth. And started to do those exercises on newborns and then on a bit older kids and started to work. Not every child needed surgery. And it was kind of mind-blowing. And from there, it moved into the understanding that breathing has anything to do with that. I never thought of airway or breathing. This is something that evolved with time. And then I, one of the doctors in Israel, Roy Fuhrer, passed away. And he was the person who was treating adults. He, with me, was one of the co-founders of the IATP. And he would talk about the palatal size we never understood that at the, at the very early ages, days. And when we passed away, I was the person left to treat the older kids and the, and the adults. So I was drawing into this field and gained some experience with that. And again, it's so frustrating to see the tongue is not moving. The child is being referred from a speech pathologist. And I tried to do measure the tongue range of motion ratio now that we have some kind of tool which was developed by Surush and his group and the child cannot even lift the tongue so what do you do so you work in a team and this team has a lot to do with training tongue exercises teaching the brain re-education of the of the proper movement sealing the lips and this team led me to get this way of training exercises, get good function, where surgery is really a minor part of it. Mm -hmm. 
That's fantastic. I mean, you you said so many things on there that we could talk about. Um, everything from not every child, you know, you alluded to, not every child needs a tongue tie release. Have we done any, we call it like pre-op therapy, but essentially we're going in and doing feeding therapy. We're addressing the surrounding tissues. We're working intraorally. We're also referring to different forms of body workers, whether that's cranial sacral therapy or osteopath or a PRI trained physical therapist in our area or something where they understand the full body fascial connection, that deep frontal line and how, you know, sometimes if we release those surrounding tissues, other tension also releases and maybe the the tongue can gain function in a way that we don't have to head towards a surgical release, but the child still, you know, or adult even in some cases still requires that therapeutic intervention and possibly much more. Um, so I really like that you, you touched on that, um, as well as palate size and TRMR and, you know, does the tongue fit in the palate? Aside from the fact of whether or not we can get the tongue up there, if we release this tongue, does it have a place to live? Can we, you know, then behaviorally train it through neuromuscular re-education to live in the palate? So we have, you know, teeth slightly apart, lips closed, tongue up in the palate, breathing through our nose. Like, can we achieve that? Or are there other obstacles in our way? Um, Which has become the great big discussion and debate of working with anyone Mm -hmm. from birth through adulthood, because we're basically saying, yes, there's always something that can be done. What that looks like might look different depending on where you are in your journey, but. Yeah. And everybody knows now that the earlier you intervene, the the better the results. Breastfeeding is the best orthodontic treatment that you can get. And when you have breastfeeding issues, it means something is wrong there. The child is not on the right tracks for for uh, the best craniofacial growth. So we all know that we all, I'm talking about us guys. <laughs> <laughs> in, this, yeah. in, in, the, in the Zoom squares here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 we all, all of us, yeah. So sad. Uh, so we know that uh, the earlier you intervene, the better you get the results. You, the, you don't have so many compensations and, and so on. Uh, but unfortunately, we have a lot of, uh, patients coming in with so many uh, myofunctional tish, uh, issues that should be addressed at all their ages. And like I said, the teamwork, you, you mentioned the, the, or the body workers, so important. All the fascial manipulation that is, is something rather new in our uh, intimate world uh, uh, that we talk about. So uh, for me, like I said, as, as the surgeon, I have the, the least amount of work to do and then I need a lot of preparation before and a lot of prepare uh, work out after my intervention and I hope most of the of the patients will not even come to my place they should work at home and not have the surgery done I'm just one part of the of the of the team and if you've seen some of my lectures at the the tongue-tied the uh, meetings when I have, when I'm talking about the teamwork, the surgeon is the last person on the team. But I think it's, you know, really important as you do to highlight the necessity of the team collaboration, the entire treatment plan. Um, Because unfortunately, and I'm, I'm sure this goes on everywhere, but in the U.S., we have a big problem with 
we just call them happy releasers. They just kind of release any tongue tie that appears to come their way without confirming that the infant, toddler, teen, adult has the proper team and therapeutic intervention surrounding that procedure and really, you know, green lighting, we call it like a green light system, um, whether or not they're ready to proceed with a release, if that's the direction that they're headed. So, you know, thankfully we do have providers who are wonderful that do have certain, you know, operating procedures in place and checks and balances in a green light system, but we receive a lot of patients that, you know, call us and say, oh, I just had my tongue tie released today. I was told to call you like what? (laughs) And, and when do you want us to squeeze you in? Like, okay. You know, it's like, we need to see you within 24 hours. Really? Where, (laughs) where is this happening? So that's part of the passion behind education too, is that it's not that it's not that we don't want to see you, but yeah, there's a lot more that happens before, you know, the procedure itself, if that's even the direction that we're heading in. Um, So I like how you spoke to what's needed, you know, from a team and collaboration approach as well. Let me tell you, this is a very easy problem, what you just described, because I work in the hospital and we have kids that need to have to undergo bone marrow transplantation. And as a dentist, they should have it examined and treated way before. Tomorrow is the bone marrow transplantation. When can you fix their, their teeth? So it's, so we are in a, in a kind of good situation. The yeah. worst thing that can happen will reattach. <laughs> yes, yes. And hopefully not multiple times because <laughs> we get those two. And then we go, all right, let's hit pause here and, you know, let's reevaluate the situation and see what else we can do because it's it's an interesting conversation to have. And I am always thankful when patients make it to a practice, whether it's mine or another, that can say, okay, like, let's take 10 steps back and evaluate the current situation what does function look like now? Obviously you're here because it's, we're having issues with oral function, um, whether that be feeding, speech, breathing, which is impacting sleep, attention and behavior at school. I mean, right, the list goes on and then into adulthood, adult ADHD and OSA and all the things. Um, so it's, it's always a very interesting conversation to take that deep dive back into history. And it's one of my passions that kind of threw me into teaching in this space because I was like, they're not teaching this to SLPs or OTs in, in grad school. And we're all going out and trying to source this information and There really isn't a, you know, at the time when I created my feeding course, there wasn't a course that dove into tethered oral tissues, myofunctional, you know, therapy and um, just orofacial development in that way. Um, And while that's only uh, like two modules out of 12 modules in the course, it's truly a feeding course. I think it's very, very eye-opening to therapists who go through it and start to realize, oh, we develop our swallow at 12 and a half weeks in utero. So that baby's been swallowing dysfunctionally since like, you know, the end of the first trimester, this wasn't just like, Oh, we had a baby and baby can't latch. Well, yes, that's happening, but here's why. Right. Cause at that point, you and I know that there's also a lot of other development that's occurred in those last couple of trimesters and the palate is high and narrow. We're seeing bubble palates or channel palates and other things that are making it very challenging for these babies to feed, even if they can gain lingual function, um, just based on their anatomy. So it's, it's really a big discussion um, surrounding that because, you know, I look at family members and friends and colleagues and I go, 
OMD, OMD. Okay. Everybody's got a myofunctional disorder and you don't want jaw surgery. So what's your solution? You know, it's like, what do we do now? Which I know there are other answers besides jaw surgery in many cases, but not always. Um, But I think that it's, you know, behaviorally, what can we do? And can we improve function? I've also had adults come to my practice and say, Hey, I'm not having jaw surgery. I don't want an appliance. I don't want a tongue tie release. I just don't want the problem to get worse. Like, can you help me? Like, I know I'm compensating. Can you just help me prevent it from getting worse? And I'm like, well, I can teach you certain things and we can see what kind of function you can gain. We can see what kind of compensations we can reduce and behaviorally what you're able to maintain with the current anatomy in place. Right. And, and so it's, it's an, always an interesting conversation. Yeah, exactly. If, if we, we can improve as much as we can on this, on a certain uh, conditions, like if someone doesn't have any legs, you will not be able to walk. If somebody has two legs, it doesn't necessarily says he can walk. We, it's one thing is the anatomy and function is totally different. Mm-hmm. And again, the clinicians today need to look for the, uh, for this, to look for sources of education. And your, what you're doing is a, is a great source of, of information. We have, I have a good friend in Israel, a, a speech pathologist, Dorit Mays, who says she, she watches uh, religiously what you're talking about and She's it is a, and it is a, a an educational source like other facebook groups and so on and we need to dig our our data from and a, and a lot of data comes from personal uh, experiences of patients also from people and patients and and the and the meetings where we meet our own kinds and we discuss things and this is how we we get the information grown Research is way behind, and we've started a research center of tongue tie at my hospital, where we try to get the research. It's so difficult to do. There's no resources. It's so difficult to to get the. We we sit on a gold mine of a lot of of babies and and even toddlers and adults, but to turn it into research is something that I will do maybe in the next. Not maybe, I will do in the next few years, but uh, maybe this way we can educate the world much better. Absolutely. So going back to the tongue exercises, right? I know that we established that they are for the, you know, any age, really, infant infant through adult. um, And we are working towards like function. But can you speak to like the types of exercises that you have on your program and even share with us like where can, you know, our listeners learn more about them or even see an example of what you're talking about. Okay. So every, every clinician has their own, the things that works in their own hands. For example, if you look for active wound management protocols on releases, post releases, and you go to our top clinicians like Bobby Geharry, so, uh, uh, Rajiv Agrawal, they all have great websites with great, uh, uh, protocols and nothing has been proven scientifically so it's all what works in your hands and what I've seen I can share only my experience and this is what we do and I usually like the parents to start exercises way before they come and see me if they see a lactation consultant let her uh, educate the parents how to do the exercises and by the time they come to me whether uh, breastfeeding is improved or not. 
And the exercises are changing on my protocol, my private protocol, where I'm not, uh, I'm not, um, it, it's not evidence-based. Something that every uh, physician would say, oh, it's not evidence-based and forget about it. Let's give the child some uh, PPI to prevent his reflux, and which is not evidence-based, by the way. But, and, and can but, be harmful per the research, but yeah, hey, yeah, you know, these yeah, kids yeah. are at more risk of breaking bones at the age of three, but yeah, what's exactly. the, what's, that's not important right now. So just keep exactly, on. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what I instruct the, the parents before they come to the, to the office and after, do try to work into lifting the posterior part of the tongue for about 30 times a day. Well, you don't start with a single, the first time and jump into the, the baby's oral cavity and start lifting and stretching and, and interfering it. We call it a TG time. Let's have some fun. You put and play with the, with the uh, instrument, with the tongue gym on the lips and you go under the tongue a little bit and it's kind of bonding experience. And then you, you try to move into 30, 30 uh, repetitions a day, either throughout the day. Following the surgery, however, uh, if when people are talking about uh, in very immense uh, tongue stretching, uh, I'm not into re-tearing the, the wound and opening it because I think when you uh, aggravate a wound, it will try to do all its best in order to, re to heal and will get a much uh, thicker scar tissue. Hmm. So it's kind of a gentle separation between the floor of the mouth and the tongue. And that I would, I recommend three times a day. Uh, there is one research that was done in 2012, I think, by in, in Montreal. And they showed that once they started doing post-surgical exercises, they saw that they had less returns of patients for a redo during that year. They had, it wasn't really published, it was presented at the IATP meeting in 2014. And this is something that really uh, opened my mind to it. So this is the protocol that I'm using. So gentle uh, separation of the floor of the mouth from the tongue, the tongue from the floor of the mouth. When you are going to kids or toddlers that, let's say, have issues with, they don't know how to lift the tip of the tongue. They just have no idea. The brain doesn't know how to lift the tip of the tongue and they have speech issues. Then my protocol is almost as, as with the newborns. Uh, lift, go with a tool. It's a, now fingers are too difficult to use. And this is where the tongue gym has a lot of uh, advantages. It slips under the tongue and you let either the parent is doing the exercises or getting the child itself. I would say a three-year-old child can go under the tongue, stand in front of the mirror, lift the tongue and see how the tongue tip gets up. And then when they see that, I, I, you can really feel like a, 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 an electric circuit is being closed and the child knows, the, the brain knows what to do next. And then the, you keep a... a uh, reinforcing this movement and I get a lot of experience, uh, good experience with that with children that did not know how to do the tongue lift, starting to lift the tongue 
And usually what I tell them, if they are referred for a tongue release, I tell the parents, take a month, a month and a half of exercises and reevaluate it after that. And boom, most of these kids are speaking much better in six weeks. And now we have the question of where the, the frenulum is. If we have a type one chorillus or type two chorillus, I would go and release it. And I have a child that knows how the tongue training can be, the tongue exercises can be done. And I do the release, the parents are doing the exercises and everybody's happy. Sometimes it's difficult for them and we have reattachment, uh, but really very, very uh, rarely. And when we get to older patients where they can do it by themselves, let's say adults, we have other exercises rather than lifting the tip of the tongue. If they can go all the way to the back of the tongue as much as they can go under the tongue and lift that other area, you get different sensation, you get other education of the tongue. And you can also do some isometric uh, exercises like putting the tool under the tongue, try to lower the tongue and, uh, and resist it with the finger or can put it on the tongue and try to lift the tongue. So we, can, we have several exercises that can be done uh, on, on, older, on adults. And so these are the protocols, I would say 30 repetitions. Addition to that, I would add the exercises that the, that the speech pathologist would give them. Of course, close your mouth and et cetera, et cetera, but, and move your tongue from side to side. But these are the, the exercises that I recommend. And I don't want to recommend too many exercises because they won't, they won't do anything. So we have yeah. to keep it the most effective exercises that they can do. I appreciate that um, in terms of not, not overwhelming the family or they're just not going to do it. I mean, we, we find yeah. that in the speech world, we find that, you know, if you give them too much homework, they're not going to do it at all. I'd rather give them one thing that they're going to reinforce and get really good at so we can move forward the okay. next week versus give them seven things because we did all seven things in the session and, you know, let's carry it all out at home. No, I, first of all, I'm a mom. I have a private practice. My children have been in feeding slash myofunctional therapy. And I am the worst parent when it comes to carrying out homework. So if you don't make it easy for me <laughs> as a professional, it's not happening. And my kids are like, mom, we didn't do my own. I was like, oh my gosh, your session's tomorrow. Let's go. Come on, crack it out. <laughs> so I, I can appreciate, you know, the need to really simplify, reduce, and be very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Intentional with what we're giving. There should be a purpose behind it. And what drives me crazy is that whole EBP, that whole evidence-based practice debate, because it's a triangle. And we, yes, empirical evidence, research studies are definitely an important part of that. But so is our experience as clinicians, as doctors, you know, as professionals working with these children day in and day out, right? And then on the third part of that totem pole is the family. And we need the input from them as well, from the patient and their experience and their goals. And um, at least in the SLP circle in the US, a lot of that is constantly debated. If it's not, you know, level one, level two, they just basically say research doesn't exist. This is not evidence-based, this, that, and the other. And I'm going, okay, but this 13 year old who's been in seven years of speech therapy, nobody ever looked under his tongue. He scored on a standardized assessment at the level of a two-year-old with his speech sounds, and we prepped him. He had therapy. He did 
go for a, he actually had a frenuloplasty, he had extra skin under his tongue. It was a different type of case. And what do you know, six months later, he was graduated from speech and entering high school, which was his goal with the ability to sound like a high schooler who could produce all of his sounds, including his R's, because he didn't want to sound immature. And so I'm going, we're here going, we have case after case after case like this. I've had realtors who say, I just want to make it through my wedding vows so that I, without getting tired, it's 10 AM. I've had a cup of coffee. I spoke to one client. I'm here with you. I'm physically exhausted. Right. And so I think people, hopefully, the more they start to hear and learn about this, because they start to realize the functional impact on their daily life when they didn't know any different. Right. And when you start to understand that, oh, it could be different, it could be better. It, it sort of changes the conversation. And I'm like, the general public seems to be getting more on board with that than my own profession, which is unfortunate. <laughs> it's a constant, you know, or it's a 50-50 split, if you will, right now. So it's a work in progress. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. and I, I know it's the same way in other medical spaces as well. So we all just keep saying onward and upward. Um, I was talking to a dentist a couple of weeks ago and she said, you know, gut health was like not a thing 10 years ago. Like if you were talking about gut health, you were at least in the U S like you had three alien heads and you know, who are you now? Everybody's talking about the connection between the, you know, the gut and the brain, your second brain and all this, you know, stuff. And she said, so really hoping that the oral microbiome also becomes that same conversation in the next 10 years that we get to a point where we realize so much of our health holistically starts in the mouth and if we can address function here and then work on the rest of the body as well, like we can start to heal ourselves without, you know, we don't have to get into a big conversation of what goes on in the U.S. But um, with all that put aside, politics, big pharma and everything else, you know, it's like we have the tools to heal ourselves, and we have the professionals who understand how to address this. Um, and hopefully that just it continues to evolve. Another thing Israel has pioneered in is also the gut health. The whole issue of, of the micro oral microbiome, some of the pioneers in that are Iran and Inav and Iran Segal, which are based in Israel and did a lot of work and really pioneer work about uh, the oral, the, the, the gut flora. Mm -hmm. uh, amazing things that we are, we never, we were never taught about them and we are learning every day and it affects each and every one of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if someone wants to look further into um, Tongue Gym, where can they find it? Well, we have, uh, well, Tongue Gym is by Liper and you can look uh, on the website for Liper device uh, and look for Tongue Gym both on the Facebook and Instagram, I guess. I don't have Instagram. I'm too old. <laughs> I will tell you, hold on, well, I'll pick it up. So I know the website is um, liper-device.com and we'll put that in the show notes so everybody has it. Um, and I want to see if I can find your Instagram because I had it pulled up. Like One thing I wanted to add, you said that people are, you don't have the time. Well, if you're an adult and you, are, you have those breathing issues and so on, and you are on your car, you're doing the tongue exercise that you, you were taught by the, your myofunctional therapist in order to strengthen your tongue muscles. You can do it while driving, while sitting, whenever nobody sees that, and you can do and do those isotonic exercises and, and stretches. And it's on, on the go, you can do it. 
Yes. And that's, that's amazing. I think it really needs to be um, so easily implemented into the day in order to make it functional for people, for people to truly carry it out. So I like that that's, you know, part of what you focus on. How can we make this more easily accessible? How can we, how can we partner with our patients, whether it's the parent of the child or the parent is the, or the adult is the patient themselves. And how do we partner with them to set them up for success um, versus handing them, like when I had my nasal surgery, they sent me home with no joke, like 20 pages of printed material and instructions. And some of it was repetitive for different procedures. And I'm sitting here like, okay, like I'm ADHD. Like this is, I like lists, but like, this is really overwhelming. And it took me an hour to sort everything out. And most people won't do that. <laughs> my ENT was like, you are crazy. Nobody follows all of our instructions, but you're healing great. And I was like, that's just my personality, but I know that's not true for most human beings. So we have to, you guys need to streamline this. <laughs> TLDR, too long, didn't treat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. So on your website, liper-device.com, we will, like I said, we will link that to the show notes. Um, I was just going there to see if there was anything else popping up that I could share, um, I do have an Instagram under Liper underscore device uh, for at least one of your Instagram accounts. I don't know if you have many, but there's one there where you can go and order the Liper device. It takes you to the web page, um, but we'll make sure to link Instagram, Facebook, and the website, like I said, in the show notes. Um, is there anything else that you want to share with us that we haven't discussed or covered? So, well, it's so good to be in a place where people understand you and you're not preach, you're like preaching to the choir and uh, it's, it's very good and always add a little bit more information to, to your audience. Um, yeah, I think people should try and like, like if you go to a gym and you find a new device there that can work on, cert on, certain, uh, on certain muscles to strengthen very, very specifically, this is the thing that you should try and see how it works. And now it's rebranded as Tongue Gym. So go to the gym. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Yeah, that's that is one of the things that we often say. You know, there's so much pushback around recommending pre and post op therapy with one. And, you know, I always tell our patients, regardless of what happens in this therapy leading up to a potential consult or even release procedure. It's the same type of therapy we're going to do, whether you're having the procedure or not. We are trying to gain function. We are looking at your individual, you know, plan and trying to help the child, the adult gain function. If we hit a wall and we truly think there's an anatomical restriction, okay, now we're going to move towards that release. We're going to have a different conversation. Things are going to switch a little, but we're still going to continue those functional goals. Because like exactly. you said, when you work on the surrounding tissues and you release, and when you were talking about cleft um, lip and palate patients and, you know, those soft tissues and you work with them, we see a world of difference in our patients in terms of ability of function post-op when they've been properly prepped. And it makes no sense why there's pushback when in every single other part of the body and every other piece of the medical world, you know, there's always pre-op therapy, post-op therapy for other surgical procedures, you know, why, why the pushback? It just. <laughs> well, you hit, you hit the nerve here, you know, uh, like I said, I'm a surgeon and I love doing the surgery. Don't take me wrong. I love doing the surgery because they do change. Well, surgery is something that is, is very instant and changes stuff. 
but I can tell during surgery, especially on older uh, kids and adults, whether the, he was prepped well or not. When I release the, the, the mucosa and then I see the, the fascia, if the fascia is kind of unveiling like um, so easily, then this kid or person is very, very uh, well prepared. And sometimes you get a, a fascia which is adhered to the, uh, to the um, mucosa and is adhered to the muscle. And you know, well, we do the surgery, but this one was not prepared well and probably will well reattach or not. I don't know, but you can see who was prepared or not. And the fascia is, is amazing. Yeah, I have a question. So on that, because we've, we've talked about this with other providers, is there a concern from a release standpoint as the surgeon um, that a tongue that is not prepped well may then fall back into the airway during sleep, for example, and become, a, you know, actually a, an obstruction? Absolutely, yes, in my opinion, not in my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and things that were shown by Surush and others, if you have a very narrow palate and you do, or someone who is retrognatic, and you're going to release the tongue without any preparation, you may experience uh, a worsening of the sleep issues. You may. Well, the, there have been two case reports, at least, on, on babies, on children that had uh, retrognatic jaw, that had their tongue released, and they had moved into sleep issue and breathing issues. I don't know about older patients, but we know, well, we know that if the tongue does, is not strong enough to, to sit on the palate, maybe it can go up there, but it's, it is resting at the bottom of the mouth. It, logically, it may go back and even worsen the sleep issues. Yeah, it's, it's one of those topics that I'm glad I wasn't questioning with my first child yet because she was that tripod sleeper who slept with her her bottom up in the air and she, you know, had her, her neck hyperextended with her head, you know, and she flipped herself over at a couple months of age. Both of my kids could hold their head up at birth. I mean, it was, I was like, wow, they're so strong. Well, my first one, she's so strong. And then I had my second one. I was like, oh no, not this again. Like now I know what's happening and I know too much. Um, but it's, it's just very fascinating, especially when you follow these infant cases, because you know, like you had mentioned, sometimes it goes beyond breastfeeding and bottle feeding and transition into solids can be really challenging for these babies. Um, sometimes we see that they, they get by okay. And we get phone calls somewhere between three, four five months of age. And all of a sudden they're not feeding well. And we know that there are the swallow reflex starts to integrate and it become goes from automatic to volitional at that point. And there's just so much change happening that things start to fall apart. And, you know, it's, it's just very eye-opening to follow these children and look at their overall developmental patterns. Are they crawling? Do they drag the leg behind them like one of my kids did? Do, you know, did they stop doing that after they had the right body work and tongue tie release and, you know, oral, you know, therapy and all the pieces of the puzzle put together that basically finally put her on the right track. But having a child who wasn't released until two years of age and went into early, early um, expansion at four. And now having my second daughter who was released at five days of age, very different feeding experience, but gross motor challenges. And now is going into early expansion at four, you know, it's even amongst my own children and all of our patients, 
very different profiles, but also a lot of commonalities and things that, you know, I'm very passionate about educating on so that we can start addressing this now. So they don't become me, the adult who had orthodontic relapse retainers, a permanent retainers removed at, you know, age 30 to then have to go into expansion and other things and nasal surgery and all the things, right? I mean, it's just, it snowballs. Um, UARS, because I don't present like a typical sleep apnea patient and all that fun stuff. You know, my goal is, yes, we can treat you if you're an adult, but what can we do to prevent that happening down the line? How early can we intervene and get that orofacial growth on track? Um, which I know is a big, you know, goal of yours as well. So, um, so yeah. thank you for all of this. I'm going to ask you again, because I feel like we went down a whole new rabbit hole. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you want to add to that? <laughs> uh, there's a lot to talk about again. Well, no, nothing that I can think of now. No, it's, it's just that, like you said, one thing leads to the other. Those uh, vicious cascades or, or let's say, uh, magic circles that you can put the child on, on the right tracks as early as possible and hopefully prevent like I said, there is no data supporting yep. the fact that if you do that, they will prevent uh, sleep apnea. Right, right, absolutely. That's, yeah, one last thing. And then we'll wrap up. Um, one of the dentists I talked to recently also, she pointed out, we're doing everything, right? We're doing all this early intervention. We're, we're seemingly getting function on track. Feeding is improving. Sleep is improving. Why do these children still have high palates when we're intervening in the first, let's say, six months of life? Um, and so that's something I know that is a passion project of some dentists here in the U.S. Like, what else can we do to help direct the craniofacial growth on a skeletal structure, which is outside my scope? But, you know, we work to get the tongue in the palate, but that doesn't seem to be enough for all these children. So like you said, it's a passion of a lot of dentists, and one of them is here. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing, you know, Tongue Gym by Laper with us. This has been... One thing I, I, I didn't yeah. show you how it looks like. Well, oh, yes. Where is it? I cannot... It's, uh, there, it there it is. is. <laughs> so yeah, so simple. if you're watching on YouTube, they can see it. And if not, they can yeah, definitely totally yeah. go to the oh, site and check it out. Um, but thank you. This is thank you very um, much. Yes, thank you for joining me, and I uh, look forward to further collaborations. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you want to hear more of these Mayo Tots airway and feeding related episodes, be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or pledge a small amount on patreon.com forward slash the untethered podcast. If you found value, others you know in this space will too. So be sure to share this episode on your social media platforms and join us over on Facebook, on my Facebook page at Hallie Balkan Biz, on Instagram at, at Hallie Balkan. And you can head over to the untetheredpodcast.com to grab a copy of the show notes um, where you can also subscribe to be kept up to date on the latest podcast episodes. 